0: Our larger series out of Romans continues today with a brand new mini-series taken out of chapters 9, 10, and 11. It's called Israel's Past, Present, and Future. Join us. Truth for Today is up next. And again, welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Israel's past, present, and future. The Apostle Paul talks about it extensively. In fact, he takes three chapters to do so. What the potter can do with the clay is the title of today's message. It's the beginning of our series, Israel's Past, Present, and Future, looking at Romans 9, 10, and 11. Join us, won't you? Here now with today's broadcast of Truth For Today, from Valley Bible Church in Hercules, our teacher and pastor now, Pastor Phil Howard.
1: 9, 10, and 11, many think that Paul just, this is kind of a, uh, he's thrown this in and because it deals with Israel. But it is vital to the book. He's addressing a church at Rome that is made up of Jewish believers and of Gentiles. And one of the great uh, things going on, Paul was seen as an enemy of Israel. The Judaizers hated him because he preached circumcision wasn't the way you knew God. Uh, You didn't have to be Jewish to be saved. Uh, And so the questions come up, well, does the gospel get rid of Israel? Uh, Does the gospel say that uh, there's no hope for Israel? Because the common theology that Paul met in his day, never evangelize a Jew because he's already the people of God. So they don't need your gospel because they've already got it. Because they're Jewish. They're tied to Abraham. So they would discourage. Paul, what are you preaching in our synagogues for? Leave us alone. Get out of town. If anybody needs God, it's the Gentiles. And so he comes here and he says, Let me tell you some things about my people Israel. And he deals in chapter 9 of God's sovereign election of a people among Israel. And he's going to deal with that. And he's going to include Gentiles at the end of the chapter. Then he goes into chapter, at the end of chapter 9 and in chapter 10, he begins to explain why Israel is being rejected today. And why the majority of them are lost. And he's explaining their unbelief has uh, just put them in a category of being cut off and rejected until they accept God's Messiah. Chapter 11, he begins to speak of a day when God will restore Israel that he's not done with her. He may have grafted in us Gentiles and we may be a part of God's present program But there's coming a future when he will deal with them as a nation again. He will save them. So he's not through with national Israel, but he's got a future plan to restore them. But I'm going today, I've wrestled with how much to try to explain. I'm going to try to get to verse 13. And if I don't get any further than verse 5, blame it on God, and I can't handle all the baggage. But uh, I give you an outline in the bulletin. Uh, of where we will go in the chapter. Great grief over a great people. Paul's sorrow over Israel. That he is not delighting that they are rejecting the gospel. It's grieving him greatly. And then we'll look at God's people are his on purpose. And he's going to explain who truly, uh, who happens to really be the people of God. Is it just those that are genetically and racially related to Abraham? Or does it take more than that? And then thirdly, we won't get to it today. God's right to choose is defended. It's quite interesting that uh, as he unfolds this theology, he expects outrage and the human argument, how can God be just to do things the way he's chosen to do them? He expects that argument And we'll look at God's divine reply, but we'll do that for next Sunday. Let's pick up in verse, chapter 9, verse 1. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship. And the word temple, it really is not theirs. It's really the worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ who is God over all forever praised? Is it ever right to praise Jesus Christ as God? It is in 9.5. You can praise him as God. He is Lord and worthy of praise. What is he saying here? Paul wants to explain how that uh, Israel is a favored people, has been given all kinds of privileges. And he explains that he is going through personal agony as he's watching his own people turn away from the gospel, refusing to give up Moses, as it were, give up all the external aspects and not accept this chief cornerstone that they're stumbling over by the thousands, rejecting Christ, rejecting Christ. Instead of him being an enemy or some passive, uh, zealous evangelist that too bad, I don't care. He said, no, no, no. I want you to know this. I am paying a great personal, emotional, internal price preaching and seeing Gentiles come to God over and over and watching my own people rejected, rejected rejected and he says something internally in me has put me in such anguish that i call the holy spirit himself as my witness that i am not being melodramatic i'm not uh, making this up the spirit himself i call to be my witness that in my conscience inside of me what sorrow i have As I watch Israel and the Jewish people turn from Christ. Uh, He uses words like uh, grief. And it means sorrow as a state of mind. And he said it's unceasing. It's continually going on in me. And I have anguish. My heart is in a perpetual state of ache over this. I'm aching over these people. And uh, uh, he says something that is astounding to me that only two men in history do I know that had such a love for the people they were trying to help that he could say, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own brothers. The only other person was Moses. And when Moses came down from the mountain, the people were all worshiping the golden calf and god said i'm sick of these people i'm going to kill them i'm going to make a new nation of you and moses says don't lord please if you do blot my name out of the book blot my name out then he says what will the other nations say that you weren't able to deliver the people you brought out of egypt But if not, blot my name out. And of course, God in mercy did not blot out Moses' name, but he continued to patiently deal with the people. He only killed 3,000 that day. He could have eliminated the whole nation. And then we come to Paul. Did he cut him off? The word anathema is to be put under the ban, to be cut off and cut away. And as I thought of those two men... They were willing to be cut off, but were not. Then I thought of him who was cut off for the sins of Israel. And that was Messiah himself. And Isaiah said he would be cut off. He would be hewn down. He would be wounded for their transgressions and bruised for their iniquities. And the chastisement that brought them peace was laid upon his back. Christ himself came under the curse of God in order to deliver these people. So God, Moses, Paul, and anyone with a true heart for God cannot be passive and uncaring that people reject Christ whether they be Jew or Gentile. Then he says, let me tell you the people that I'm grieving over, the high privileges they have, And he begins to name them. They have the adoption. And what that is, God had said in Hosea, I call you as my nation, my son that I called out of Egypt. You've entered into a very intimate relationship with me like no other nation ever has. You are in the place of unique sonship privileges as a nation. He goes on, with you, you've had the glory. That is, God has hung out with you, Israel. He said it in Deuteronomy. I've never hung out with any other people in history but you, Israel. The Shekinah cloud by day, the fire by night, uh, to fill the temple with your glory. You, you're the people that have experienced the divine presence of God. Oh, what, what a marvelous thing. It goes on. Yours are the covenants. And go back to Genesis 12 where it promises Abraham... He'll make a great nation of him, give him this land. And he'll bless the nations through his seed. But on and on, the Davidic covenant, Palestinian covenant, new covenant. God made his covenants with Israel. Their blessings were to overflow to the Gentile world. But he made them with Israel. You have that as a heritage. You are the people that I gave the law to. Uh, I gave you a divine legislation. It was a marvelous thing in the Near East. In the Near East, before Israel had the law, everything was blood revenge. For any offense, the only way you settled it was by killing. When he gave the law and said an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that was a merciful legislation. You don't have to kill everybody that breaks the law. Let them pay compensation. Uh, let the punishment be equal to the crime and got away from blood. Marvelous, marvelous legislation, 613 ordinances and commands to govern this nation. God, God wrote your constitution, as it were. You are the people he gave worship to. They only revealed worship in the Bible that's authorized from God is what he gave Israel. Gave them the sacrificial system, how a sinful people could approach a holy God. uh, Made promises to them through the patriarchs and through the prophets. Uh, Yours are the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. You've got all of this. You're the people that are rejecting Christ. It goes on, and above all... Through you, the Christ came. His humanity was traced through a Jewish family tree. And you read in Luke and you read in Matthew of the two family trees. uh, Joseph's family tree in Matthew, Mary's in Luke. What's he doing? The humanity of our Savior came through the Jewish line. The Christ, the God who came and showed up. It came through the nation of Israel. Yours are great, great privileges. And yet what's amazing is that just because you're privileged doesn't mean you know God. And just because you have all of this that a Jew could claim that the Gentiles couldn't, you still are stumbling over Christ. You are rejecting the gospel. And in spite of having all these privileges, you're perishing as a people because you didn't recognize, according to Luke, the divine visitor who came into your midst. I think it's uh, an interesting thing uh, before we get into his heavy argument here, is to ask ourselves this Do you ever have any anguish over anybody that's perishing? Anyone dying without Christ, does it ever grip you? I don't care where you think you are in theology. Uh, does the lostness of people ever cause you any anguish? Or are we to get immunity from it? Do you ever anguish over uh, family members that don't know God? Here, Paul, I, I, I'm, I'm disturbed about the racial connection I have to Israel. And I'm disturbed. Uh, My conscience knows that I'm having uh, deep, deep uh, hurt and pain. And my witness is the Holy Spirit. I believe many times in the church, heaven has lost its breezes and hell has lost its fire. Because we don't hardly believe either one very much. We just want comfort. A comfort zone. I got mine. The rest of you I have to figure it out. But when the love of God is pulsating through another human being, you can do it with, I believe it was John Knox, give me Scotland or I die. Give me Scotland or I perish. Uh, I mean, this kind of anguish for the soul of another person. Uh, do you shed any tears for your lost family members? Do you have any anguish over your enemies that are perishing? Any anguish over those who are great sinners? Great. Do great sinners bother you? Great sinners. If you saw in the paper this young man, Ruaz, that killed the two boys and said in the court, Hey, uh, if God hadn't wanted your boys killed, he would have kept me from killing them. And mocked the parents in the courtroom. Yesterday's paper cold hard a young girl that was uh, very sick uh, attending uh, Spurgeon's church in London approached uh, the great preacher and she said uh, pastor she said you know I'm very sick and most likely you're going to be doing my funeral and my unsafe father I've never been able to get him to the tabernacle I've never been able to get him here. But I will welcome my death for one reason, that he'll have to attend the funeral. And I'm telling you, Mr. Spurgeon, you must preach the gospel to my father. I want my father. The only time he'll come is the day he buries me. And Spurgeon did preach the gospel, and her father did get saved. You see, the love was working in that young girl Anything to reach my father. Anything to reach my father. I don't know if I am getting older or I'm running with a different breed of cat with you folks. But I used to see a lot of Christians weep a lot more, it seems, over the lostness of their family and loved ones than I ever see around most churches. I don't see tears. I don't see anguish about lostness. So before you get critical of Paul, before you throw up the theology that he will reveal here, and you may like it or you may not, know that he is not some cold, calculating, frozen theologian that the lostness of people does not disturb him to the core. He is in anguish about it. I only wish I had more of such anguish because sometimes I'm so busy doing church work that they have a burden for lost people ...becomes a luxury. We have to ask ourselves... ...as I read in the latest Newsweek... ...about the lost generation in church... ...and how the 20 to 30, 40 year old category... ...in most churches are going for being lost... ...to postmodern world. They don't like the church. They get out. Uh, they're doing their own thing. They're going to Eastern religions. And it's been going on for decades. And we ask ourselves... Is there enough of a burden in this church to give birth to souls? Is there enough burden around here for us to do the travail, as it were, of a woman giving birth to see loved ones saved? Or have we become nonchalant about it? That's what we pay our pastor to do. We pay preachers to have the burden. No, this is no one is exempt. No one is exempt. What would you give up to see your loved ones come to know Christ? You don't have to become a curse, thank God. But the willingness was actually witnessed. We have record. One such man, by the testimony and the witness of the Holy Spirit, he could step up in the court and say, Father, this is exactly how he feels inside. I am the witness. I know it to be true. This is not a superlative. This is not melodramatic. This man has this kind of grief over the perishing state of Israel. So never accuse this apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles, of writing off his people with a callousness that says, I don't care. If you don't accept it, too bad. Rather, I'm in perpetual grief over the lostness of my own people. What a moving, moving uh, testimony of how the love of God is, can make us feel about lost people. Now he's going to pick up something that he's going to begin to tell them that how God saves his people on purpose and what he's going to address. This is the issue. If I am a Jew, do I automatically go to heaven? They were being told yes. If I'm Jewish, I go to heaven. And it's a favorite question you'll get on Larry King. Have you ever seen him do it? And Dave Brickner's there. when John MacArthur's there. They'll always ask, do you believe Jews are going to heaven? Now watch this national network. And you're sitting there. Larry King's a Jew. And so if you say, no, tell me the world does not begin to. There are these right-wing Christians again. Now they, they're acting like they're the only ones going to heaven, and they've got a monopoly on it. Now, that is the secular take on it, whether you know it or not, right? Who do they think they are? They think they can control the, the gate to heaven. What you really want to say is, well, I didn't make the decision on who goes to heaven, who doesn't. But according to God's word and through the early Jewish evangelists, anyone that does not come through Jesus Christ does not go to heaven. Look how weak you are. You barely hear yet. You're praying about an amen. You don't even hardly believe it. Well, it is true. Uh, You're saying this one can't go to... I'm not determining, but if you don't come through Christ and Christ alone and the gospel, you can't go... Well, I don't want that kind of religion. Then you're too exclusive. You're too... I know. I know. Because broad is the way that leads to destruction. And narrow is the way that leads to God. And few there be that find it. Jesus said that. I didn't write that. Few few there be that find it. That, that's hard theology. In a secular, don't believe hardly anything. One thing they're really sure, they, they're strong about believing. They don't believe what you believe. That's their absolute. I absolutely don't believe what you believe. Okay. Wake up. We're back to Greece. We're back to Mars Hill. Everybody's got their own God.
0: You know, chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans are some of the most challenging yet most fulfilling passages in all of Scripture. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, and you're listening to our series called Israel's Past, Present, and Future, taken from a larger set out of the entire book of Romans. So we close out our time together here today on Truth For Today. We would remind you that copies of the series are available for $15 or more. It's an eight-CD set that we're making available to you when you ask for it by name, Israel's Past, Present, and and future. Now, if you would like the entire 47-sermon CD set out of Romans, the entire book of Romans, that's available for a gift of $100 or more when you contact us at 855-833-9864. Your donations are all tax deductible, and they go to Further the Ministry here on KFAX. Please remember that. These are donations that we use directly in conjunction with the radio broadcast to make sure that it continues here on KFAX. So bear that in mind as you contact us for these resource materials, or if you're feeling led just to be a sponsor and a supporter of the radio broadcast, we'd love to hear from you as well. TFT sustainers are those who receive our quarterly newsletter, a a once-a-year special gift, and you also have access to Take a Break. It's Pastor Phil's weekly video devotional, and it's all available for those of you who come to us saying, yes, I'd like to be a part of the ministry. I'd like to be a TFT sustainer. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. We'd love to hear from you today. Would you call us? Again, the phone number is 855-833-9864, or you can write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, 94547 is our zip code. You can also find out more information about us, as well as the greater ministry at Valley Bible Church, by visiting our website, valleybible.org. That's valleybible.org. You're always welcome to join us for worship as well. Here at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, we have two service times, 9 and 11. For the directions and more information, again, you'll find it all at valleybible.org or give us a call, 855-833-9864. And would you let one of the ushers know that you're paying us a visit through the radio program? That would mean an awful lot to us. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth for Today with Pastor Phil Howard.